Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Good morning, church family. I am so happy to come and share with you the goodness of God. He's been good to me. And earlier, Chrissy was saying that we should consider what God has done in our lives. And I can tell you that when I look back, when you hear my story, it's not the background of my cataclysm, of how I came to the Lord. But when I look back, and had it not been for the Lord, I'd be dead. I really want to be dead. If you grew up when I grew up, you'd understand what I'm saying. Hallelujah. So blessed. I grew up in Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria. I was the fifth of nine children. And if anyone's a middle child, you know what the syndrome is growing up as a middle child. But that meant that I was my father's favorite. He paid special attention to me. And I grew up in a home. My father was a lawyer. He was affluent. My mother had maids. She didn't have to work. But at the age of five, there was a civil war in Nigeria. And it's called the Biafran War. Those who are my age will remember those poster children from Biafra with the malnutrition and the distended stomachs. I wasn't, I didn't suffer like those children, but I was still part of the war. I was at five, at age of five, I knew what it was like to hear bombs falling, to have to run to the bunker, to the shelter. When you hear the air raids, when the jet planes go flying, I knew what it was like for your dad to wake you up in the middle of the night because you had to evacuate a place because enemy army was uh, invading. That was, it wasn't easy. And that continued until I was 10. But when I was 13, one day I was in boarding school and I saw, I, I heard our driver honking outside the dormitory. And my sister was already in the car and they took us home. And I saw my mother sprawled on a mat with her head shaved, which is what widows have to go through when their husbands die. My life was shattered because my life, my dad was, was everything to me. I lived for his approval. Everything I did was for my dad. And he was, he clearly expressed his approval. But what was worse was I was asking God, what would this woman do? Nine children, she's never worked a day in her life. What's going to become of us? You see, I grew up in an Anglican home. I don't know, the, uh, uh, Anglican is a denomination in Nigeria. And we went to church every Sunday. In fact, my father was a lay reader. And we had a man come to the house once a week to teach us the Bible. Had us memorize Psalm 23 and the, Lord is, uh, the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 91. But I really, I didn't know God. I didn't know about a relationship with God. So I'm watching this woman and my life is like it's come to an end. But God surprised me. My mother turned around and with my father's networks became a very successful businesswoman. And her ambition was to give our children the same education they would have had had my father been alive. So at 16, I was shipped off to the United States as a fifth of my siblings to attend Quinnipiac College in Hamden, Connecticut. I arrived in the United States at 16, 
without purpose. You see, my father had died, the only one I really lived to please. But I wanted to belong. I wanted to find a place in this new society. So I would watch television and mimic what I saw. I began to party. It was all party and fashion. We would go from Connecticut to New York every weekend for par party hopping or disco hopping. We had discos in those days. And I was a dancer. And when I danced, people would just like, woo. <laughs> you can't imagine it now, but anyway. <laughs> but, you know, that was all I knew. That was what life meant for me. But I finished my education. And I was about 20, 20, 20 when I finished. I got my first degree. But my mother said I was too young to come back to Nigeria and work with a degree, international business degree. Because that would mean moving to the major city, Lagos. So she said I should go back to school. So I chose the school. I chose a school in England where all the rich kids went to and all. It was just fun, fun, fun for us. University of Buckingham. And off to school I went. So I continued the life I had learned in the United States and England, hopping from party to party, every weekend in London, fashion was everything. And that was the life I knew. But after studying law, I had to go back to Nigeria. And in Nigeria, you have to spend a year in law school, in a dorm, where before you can practice to do the bar. Interestingly enough, my youngest sister, who did law as a first degree, was also doing, going through law school at the same time. And in Nigeria, all those Nigerians that I, I lived in London with, of course, we all moved back to Nigeria and continued an even faster life. Parties, 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 and, and that was all I knew. But then I watched my sister, her name is Leslie. She was four years younger than me. And her life seemed to have such meaning, such purpose. And I envied her. And she, on the other hand, looked at me and like, is she for real? Does she think she's gonna pass this exam? How is she gonna do it with all the parties every weekend? One Saturday I went up to her and I said, Leslie, can I go to church with you? She was like, yeah, come. And so the next morning, I went to church with her. And uh, I knew they spent a lot of time in church, so I asked a friend to pick me up like in three hours. So when three hours came along, I heard the horn outside and I traipsed off with my red dyed hair, my hair dyed red and my slit skirt and my stiletto mules. I know you can't imagine it, but just, I, uh, you know, those were not electronic days, so I'll have a photograph for you. And I just traipsed off and went off to the beach. Well, next Saturday when I went to my sister to say I wanted to go to church, she said, not with me. In fact, I'm not going. I didn't realize how much I embarrassed her by walking out of church the way I did. Well, I went to her friends because they went with us. I said, can I go with you? friend said, sure. And they took me. I stayed even longer in church then. But something happened in the ensuing weeks. I was sitting in the lounge at the law school, smoking my, oh, in those days I smoked Sar Saratoga Slims. You may not know them, but I would like, that was a cool thing to do. So there I was, smoking my Saratoga Slim, watching this man Chris Ocotier, being mocked by my friends. He was preaching the gospel to them, and they were making fun of him. So I just walked up to him. I said, don't bother with him. Preach to me. Really, what I was trying to do is teach him a lesson. And he nearly fell off because he didn't even know that I was going to church. And he began to preach to me. And he prayed for me. And I thanked him, and I walked away. What I didn't know was that at that point, 
I encountered the Lord. I didn't know that such a simple prayer could have such an effect. When I would read the Bible, it would make sense. The things that I used to love to do, they just didn't make sense anymore. I didn't find any joy when I went partying. When I would finish a meal, I had to have my slim. But this time, when I would smoke it, it just made no sense. And I stopped it. You see, God drew me with his cord of love. That's how our journey began. I remember I would go back to that same church. And every time they made an altar call, I came back to accept my Jesus over and over again. And then one day, after the, you know, the prayer, they asked people who had accepted the Lord to come to a side room, and I went with them. And the person there began to pray for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I knew of the Holy Spirit was my sister's friends who walked around speaking in tongues, and, you know, they'd enter the elevator. One of them would say, Hallelujah, Jesus! Harabasota! You know, that's what I knew. So when they began to talk about that, I just turned to leave. That same man, Chris Okotia, he saw me and he came and met me. He took the Bible and he began, to, he said, do you believe the Bible? Of course I grew up Anglican. I was taught that the Bible was true. So he said, he began to show me chapter after chapter where people receive the Holy Spirit. Then he asked me, do you believe the Bible? And then he prayed for me and the Lord filled me. My life was never the same again. The church announced that they were going to the United States for a conference and uh, a Christian conference. And I wanted to go with them. I did go. I stuck out like a sore thumb. But I went with them. And after that conference, I didn't want to go back again to Nigeria because I didn't want to have to deal with my friends. And of course, as a lawyer, I moved, I went on to New York and took the bar there and began to practice law. The rest is history. Today I'm married to Pastor Tim, a lovely, wonderful young man. Young man to me. And it's, you know, I want to talk to you today about really my testimony. The pastor said at the last prayer meeting, he said that first we get saved when we accept the Lord, but then a process begins. And the Bible says we don't even know what we would look like, but when we see him, we will be just like him. And that's my story. The process began for me. And, that, you know, the scripture that ministered to me as I prepared was this. From Hosea chapter 11, verse 4. It says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. I mean, it may not make sense to you that if he really is the God of heaven and earth, with all the multiverse that he has to oversee, that he can look at little me and draw me and pay me such attention. But I stand here to tell you that's the story of my life. Yoke after yoke, he began to remove and the love of God is what I live for today. It's because of the love of God that I turned around and I said, God, teach me how to pray. And he taught me. It was a personal relationship between us. It's the love of God that made me say, Lord, make my walk real with you. And he did it. At every turn, I turned to him. And I can't tell you where I am today. I wouldn't trade for anything, ever. Thank you so much for listening to me.
Come on, let's put our hands together for the work that Jesus does. Let's celebrate Jesus. He's worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, O oh God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful song and what a beautiful testimony. You know, today is a day of celebration in the Christian church, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And um, part of the reason that we celebrate today is because 2,000 years ago, there was this, there was this celebration. And part of what happened was that Jesus told his disciples the week before he was crucified. Jesus told his disciples, listen, I want you to go and um, just walk down a couple blocks and you're gonna see a couple donkeys there. Get the donkeys, bring them here. And if they ask you, what are you hey, what are you doing taking those donkeys? Say, the master needs them, we'll send them back to you. That's exactly the way it went. They brought the donkeys and then they put cloaks on the donkeys and Jesus sat on the donkey. And then he went in and when he went in, a big celebration started. It was an interesting celebration. Um, I'm gonna read it to you in just a moment, but I, I'm trying to set it up for you so you understand Palm Sunday. It was an interesting celebration, but the truth of the matter is, is not everyone understood why they were celebrating. The funny is the more things change, the more they stay the same, because things are very much like that today. Lots of people celebrate. They have no idea why they're celebrating, but it's all good. They just want to celebrate. Um, I was looking at a, a, an interview online just before we walked in here. And, you know, they, this guy went to a, a beach town. I don't know where it was. He, went, he goes to a beach town, and um, he starts to ask people on the 4th of July. He asks them, okay, so let me, I, I want to read this to you real quickly. So he says, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Most people would say Independence Day. So he asked just random people on the street, independence from what? One lady said, independence from the South. Um, you mean like the Civil War? They were like, yeah, independence from the South. There's another lady, independence from what? And she said, independence from California. 
They asked somebody else, when did they sign the Declaration of Independence? She goes, I'm not exactly sure, 1984? She goes, but it's 4th of July, you're going to celebrate, right? And they said, oh yeah, we're going to celebrate. And many times people celebrate, but they celebrate what they don't fully understand. One of my favorites is when the Cubs won the World Series a few years ago. Was that just a few or a few many years ago? But anyway, when the Cubs won the World Series and the big parade was going on downtown, they interviewed a guy, and the guy said, now that I've seen the Cub win the World Series, my whole life has changed. How many of you know that's not going to change your life? I mean, give me a break, you know? But we love to celebrate. We love to celebrate. In fact... If life is not worth celebrating sometimes, what good is life itself? If all of life is just hard work and striving and struggle and battling and, and, uh, and just, just slugging it out from day to day, then what's the purpose of living if we have nothing to celebrate about? It's built inside of us to want to celebrate. So, so let's rewind 2,000 years ago. There's a celebration that goes on, but not... It wasn't clear. Let me read it to you now. Then I want to apply this to us. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. I already gave you the background. It says, A very large crowd spread their, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, palm trees, and spread them on the road. So just so that you know, this is where we get Palm Sunday. It's because they were cutting the, the branches and all that. And then here's what happened. It says, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, the Jews at the time, when they were singing Hosanna to the son of David, some were saying, this is the one that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for this one. This is the son of David. This is the Messiah King who's coming. So they had a vague understanding of who they thought that Jesus was because of all the miracles, because of all the healings, all of the acts of love that he had performed. It was now culminating in this moment where they were actually starting to celebrate Jesus. But watch this. It goes on to say, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And then the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So some of them thought, well, this might be the savior of the world that's finally come. And some of them said, you know what, but we're not really sure. So let's give them prophet status. So we'll just, we'll just give them this much. Because they were celebrating what they didn't understand. In fact, it was kind of a mistaken celebration. They were kind of having a party around something that they didn't fully get. The reason they didn't fully get it is because Jesus had not raised from the dead yet. I want you to think about your life in context of celebration. What do you celebrate? Who do you celebrate? What makes, what jazzes you up? What makes you happy? And how does it compare to what some people claim to be the greatest week in all of history? The most important week in all of history, some people would declare was this week. And here's why. It's because Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was more than just a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was the one who God sent to this earth to declare not guilty all of those that were guilty. How many know if there's anyone to celebrate, Jesus is the one to be celebrated. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. But they didn't fully get it. They didn't fully understand that Jesus was truly the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And so there was this thing going on, a lot like us, 
where we celebrate what we don't understand. I mean, people, people just, people celebrate what's trending. People celebrate what other people are doing. But let me give you a couple of reasons to celebrate. If you're watching online, just give me, give me another, uh, another 10 or 15 minutes and listen and ask yourself, is this, does this apply to you? So here's why the, Jesus was the best reason to celebrate. First of all, Jesus was the actual king who came to save us. We celebrate, why? Because he was the king. He was the actual one who came to save us. In other words, in all other religions, listen to this. I say this every time I share the gospel. Please listen to me. This is no knock on philosophy, and this is no knock on all other religions. But in every other religion, none of the leaders ever rise above prophet. And in other, every other religion, they are just a representative of the God that they are speaking of. No other religion does God actually come down. But in Jesus Christ, he was the Son of God and the God-man himself. He actually came. He came to save us. He came to the earth. He actually showed up. Look at his life. There was no one like Jesus, and no one could claim what Jesus did and how he lived and how he loved and how he died. There was no one like Jesus ever in history, ever again. There could be no one like Jesus because he was the only king, as my wife was saying, who came. Imagine, he came, and instead of being born in a palace, he was born in a manger. He wanted to make sure that we understood that uh, everyone has access to the king of the universe. You know what I love about Esther's story? Isn't it interesting to know that you don't have to be a gangbanger to meet Jesus? How many of lawyers and professionals and intellects and, uh, and people who are fancy and smoke Saratogas, which I can't even imagine Esther doing that? You know, how many know even the elite need a savior? Jesus is the one and only savior of the world. And he came and he offered his life. Now let's talk about this just for a couple more moments. Why a savior? Why a savior? Well, it's built into us. Everyone understands. This past week, somebody gets banned from the Oscars for 10 years, okay? And he should be banned. You can't just go walk around slapping people. I mean, not for nothing, I'm praying, I've been praying for Will Smith all week. You know why I've been praying for him? Because when I look at what happened, I say, oh snap, here's a guy uh, joking about his wife, right? He's joking about his wife. His wife happens to be sick and um, I bet you that Chris Rock doesn't go to, on Thanksgiving dinner and joke about his own wife. I bet you Chris Rock doesn't make fun of his wife when he's uh, at Christmas or in family gatherings because that wouldn't be cool. But for some reason, we think it's so cool for somebody to joke about another life. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. But here's a, just an average working guy in that moment, and he gets upset, and he does something that was wrong. But everyone agrees that he should be bad. Everyone agrees that that's wrong. Well, let me ask you a question. If it's right for Will Smith to be banned from the Oscars, okay, what about being banned from eternity? If it's right for him to get blocked from the Oscars, what about you and I going to heaven? Are we good enough? Are we perfect enough to go to heaven? Or have we fallen? Are we all like Will Smith? Do we all mess up? Do we all fail? Do we all have ugly things in our record? Oh, now he's just messing with stuff. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we say yes to that, then we have to open our eyes that we will all stand before God. And what will you do if you don't have a Savior? That's why Jesus came. He came to save us. He came to pay the price that the guilty would be declared not guilty. You mean, you mean I get to go to heaven because Al Toledo's good, Al Toledo's just not good enough. No one is good enough. All have sinned, we all fail in many ways. 
By the way, God looks more just at your deeds. He looks at your heart. He judges at so much, such a higher level. And I am shocked at the outcry. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it, it's right, it's a wrong to say, yo, you gotta ban this guy. Absolutely. But what about the bigger ban? Well, I don't like you saying that God is judge. Well, guess what? He is a judge. God is a judge, but here's the thing: He's different. Because he loved us so much that here's what he said. He said, I'm going to take one person that I love, my only son, and I'm going to have him be declared guilty for the whole world that I deeply love so that they would not be declared guilty. They would be declared not guilty. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That story, that principle is the only one that answers the true heart issue of mankind. You understand? No other religion, no other philosophy, no other thing that you, you could pursue a lot of self-help stuff. But what about eternity? So God steps in and he says, I love you. My favorite line of the testimony. Okay, listen, if you're watching online, my favorite line of the testimony was this. Hey, uh, Chris was his name? Chris, preach to me. Something in her heart was saying, God has a message for me. Well, listen, everyone, every seat, I see your eyes looking at me, okay? And I don't know your life. I don't know your heart. I don't know your troubles. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. But one thing I do know is that if you're a human being, there's some good and there's some bad in the closet. You understand? We all have things that we're not proud of. We all have things. If they played, a, if, if they played the, the, the record of our lives, we would clear this whole building out. We would be running if we knew someone was going to play our, our true story. But here's, here's the amazing news. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He died for you and all your stuff and all of the wickedness and all of the ugliness. It's that personal. It's, I just can't believe that Jesus would choose me, but he does. You might hear, be here today and say, if I was God, I wouldn't choose you. I know, but you're not God. And he did choose you. And he does love you. And guess what? He's not just the Savior. He's the King. When you accept the King, the King of the universe, the King of glory, the King of love, now you have a real reason to celebrate. So the first thing that we have to understand is, man, the one who could deal with our worst came to give us his best. Came. Here's another reason to celebrate, and then we're going to close. Listen, he not only came to save us, but he came to make our lives better. See, a lot of people think that when you accept Jesus, all of a sudden he takes everything away. But that's not true. Actually, he makes it better. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and life to the full. Anybody know Jesus wants to give us the full life? I mean, come on. What's wrong with Esther's life? She was an, she was a, an attorney. She, she was a, a articulate, good-looking, blessed, everything. She had everything. And yet there was something missing, missing from her life. There was an emptiness. No matter what, we all understand that the thing that we pursue and think it's going to satisfy us, it always ends up being less than what we expect. No one, no one can satisfy you deeply and make your life better. No promotion, no attainment, no experience, as good as those are, 
none of them can satisfy deep inside of our hearts and then make us better except Jesus. Listen. Amen. Yes, yes, amen. Listen. You see, when you give your life to Christ, there's a relationship that starts. Something happens where God comes by his spirit and he lives inside of your heart. See, the perfection of God, in the perfection of God, God is three in one. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you think on that for a little while, even though it's kind of mind-blowing, it had to be that way. If God was only one and there was no one else, then how could there be love? But if, if God didn't create this world, there was perfect love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what God decided was to share that love with us. Perfect love. Pure love. Powerful love. And here's, what, here's why Jesus came. Almost done. Jesus came because he wanted to share that perfect, pure, powerful love with you and I. How does he do it? We invite the Lord into our hearts and by his spirit, he doesn't just become a coach. He doesn't become a mentor. He actually moves in. What would your life be like if Jesus moved in? How many know Jesus wants to move in? He wants to move in. When Jesus moves in, he makes everything better. So you and I battle with things that we can't, we can't change, we can't help, we can't alter. And yet when Jesus moves in, he makes everything better. All of a sudden, she was, she was uh, uh, um, like driven to smoke the Saratoga. All of a sudden, I don't want to do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus moved in. The things that she used to love to do that were not godly, not good for her. Maybe you're here. There are things that you like to do that they're not good, they're not godly, they're not helpful to your life, but yet you feel driven to do them. Well, when Jesus moves in, he makes everything better. See, grace is God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. What happened? Why are you different? I don't know. I gave my life to Jesus and I'm changed. And every day I'm changing and changing and changing. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. That's all I can say. She gave her heart to the Lord at a law school. I gave my heart to the Lord on a baseball field. I was on my way to a career in professional baseball. Was gonna be one of the, potentially be picked in the first round of the draft, all of these things. And yet I knew something was missing. I knew, I knew people were paying attention to me because I can throw a baseball 95 miles an hour, not because they cared about me. I just knew it, I knew it, I knew it. It's gotta be more than this. You know, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowls, marries the girl, all the, blah, and they, he says, there's got to be more than this. You know what that is? That is a longing for the only one who can satisfy, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. So my question to you today is, had you had the, have you had the moment have you had the moment? Have you had the moment where Jesus draws near, knocks on the door of your heart, you open up your heart, and you let him in? Jesus did not die so that you could live with a religious education. You know, you ever hear people say, man, it's good to take the kids to church. You know, they need to have some religion. Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus didn't die for you and I to come to church and, uh, you know, like we have uh, um, people who come for the Easter season and the Christmas season. We call you the Christers. And if you're a Christer, hallelujah, so good to see you. Okay, we're happy to see you. And thank you for the visit. But Jesus died for more than that. How many know Jesus died for so much more than that? Jesus died. Jesus died so that when you leave, you take him with you. Jesus died 
so that on your most difficult day, you're not alone. You have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus died so that you could know the overcoming power of Christ. He leads us in triumph. He leads us in victory. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. Jesus died to bring internal, powerful transformation to your home, to your marriage, to your life, to your soul in every way. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. And it's as simple as what the Bible says. Man, when you read the Bible, anybody who really stops and reads the Bible, it's like so mind-blowing how profound and yet how simple and powerful it is. Here's what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. I stand at the door and knock. What door? What door does Jesus knock on? He knocks on the door of every person's heart. I already know he's knocked on the door of your heart. He knocks on everyone's door. Why? Because God is love. If he sent his son to die, wouldn't he want to follow through? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, wouldn't he want to follow through? Today, you're watching online, he's knocking again. And he says, anyone that will open the door, anyone. But you don't understand what I did. Yes, I do, says Jesus. I understood it so deeply that I gave my life. I gave my life and shed my blood for the very thing that you think blocks our relationship. There's no block, just open up the door. There's no dirt, there's no dirt in your life that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse. There's no past, there's no history that can curse your future. When you accept Jesus, your future will be blessed. Your future will be powerful. Your future will bring glory to the, to the king of the universe. His name is Jesus. Don't listen to all of those lies. Open the door. And when we open the door, he comes in by his spirit. And then... Everything is different. So I wonder, watching online, here, a relationship, a real relationship is private and personal in essence. You have a relationship with a person. It's a one-on-one it's -on -one relationship. You could be married and be friends with two people, but still, when you get right down to the essence of it, is it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It's the same thing with God. Have you opened the door to Jesus? While I was speaking, uh, if, if while I was speaking, if you felt a tug at your heart, who do you think that is? You think that's a speaker? No, that's the Holy Spirit knocking again. How many know the Holy Spirit knocks and knocks and knocks? So listen, in the privacy of this moment, everyone just close your eyes for a minute. When I gave my life to Christ, I wasn't in church and nobody else knew about it but me and Jesus. It's a private thing. In the privacy of this moment, have you, do you hear him knocking? Jesus is knocking. And there's no excuse, there's no reason that would stop his love from knocking on the door of your heart. Do you mean stopping at my address, stopping at my, my, my heart? Yes, he's at your heart and he's knocking. And he says, anyone that will open the door, I will come in and I'll sup with him. I'll be with them forever. An eternal friendship forever and ever. An eternal relationship forever and ever. And as I'm talking to you, are you here today and you could say, I may have grown up in church, I may have uh, even learned Bible verses like Esther, but I never had that moment in time when he knocked and I opened and I started my own relationship. Not a religion, a relationship with Jesus, the King of glory. And if that's you, it's as simple as a prayer. It's as simple as you saying, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart, save me change me. And what I would like to do is lead you in that prayer. 
It's a moment in time that you get to remember. I remember. Everyone remembers. I remember the first day I met my wife, and I remember the first day that 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 uh, that Susie came into the world, and 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 Annie and Tommy. We remember those days, and this is a day to remember. If that's you, in the privacy of this moment, you want to open the door and invite Jesus in. I would love to lead you in the prayer. So just raise your hand. Come on, anyone here, the Spirit of God, thank you, thank you. If you feel like Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, thank you. Come on, if, if Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, you want to let him in, open the door, just raise your hand because I want to lead you in prayer. Hallelujah. I want to wait because I know the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Hands are going up all over the building. Come on, raise them high. It's just, nobody's looking at you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise be to the living God. Come on. I'm going to wait just a few more moments. Don't be afraid. This is the most important moment, the most important decision, the greatest relationship. One more minute. Anyone else, just raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thank you. More hands have gone up. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now here's what we're going to have you do. Go ahead and put your hands down. It's as simple as a prayer. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. I'm going to help you. You see the way that guy helped Esther? After that, Esther had her own prayer life, her own relationship. But the first time someone helped her to say, to invite Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do. So everyone in the building, online, if as, as, if, as I was talking, he was knocking, Raise your hand online, no matter where you are right now. Raise your hand to accept Jesus. And then, come on, let's all say this prayer. Everyone repeat after me. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus 